All right, you can be seated. How many of you have ever done something stupid as a kid? Raise your hand. Stupid as a kid. How many are doing the same stupid thing still, right? Well, let me tell you about a stupid thing I did as a kid, and maybe it'll kind of relate to uh, some things you've done uh, recently as an adult or maybe a kid. Um, my dad was in Germany for a couple of years. When he came back, he had a big cargo a container that was made out of wood. And they shipped it to the house, and so he could unload it all, and then they were going to come pick it up. And I persuaded him to keep it, to put it in the backyard and to make me kind of like a hideout, a fort kind of a thing, you know. And he, so he did, and he cut a door in it and put a little hinge on there and put a lock on it so I could keep stuff in there and the neighbors wouldn't steal from us. We lived in a bad neighborhood, you know. And uh, so anyway, we had that going on, and, and it was great because we could get up on top of it, and the neighbors over the fence... They had a fort too, but theirs was not nearly as stable. It wasn't made to cross the ocean. So we would get bricks and we would bomb their fort and, you know, knock walls out. It was awesome. They'd throw it ours. They'd bounce off. And that was just the start of the stupid. You know what I'm talking about? You know where the start of the stupid goes? You don't know where it's going to go when it's all said and done? Do you relate to me? Okay. So we had gas masks, you know, those army kind of gas masks with the long hose. It looks like, you know, you came out of some alien movie in the 60s, right? So we put these on, and I had the bright idea that we were going to learn how to be firemen. How many firemen in here? This is a stupid thing. This is why you exist, people like me. So anyway, inside of it was kind of a paper lining with a little bit of insulation in it, and I got the bright idea with my buddy that we were going to learn how to be firemen. We were going to light the paper on the inside on fire, but not let the house burn. Would you say with me a word that starts with S and ends with T? What is that word? Say it out loud. It's stupid. Say it with me. What? Stupid. All right. But it seemed like a good idea. You know, when you're like 11 or 12, a lot of things really seem smart. So we lit it on fire Smoke is just coming out of that thing, and it, was, it would, had a creosote kind of a backing to it. We rush in there with the hoses. When my mom looked out, saw a garden hose going in, two boys running in with the garden hose and the smoke coming out, she came out and started, you know, the end of the world had come. And uh, then my, when I got home, my dad confirmed the end of the world had come. <laughs> and, I, and I've thought about that story so many times in my life because it's just such a great example for so many different things in our life. But number one, stupid, right? But let me ask you something. Fire is a good thing, and it's a bad thing. It's a good thing if it refines you and makes you more like Christ. It's a bad thing if it consumes and eats up everything that's valuable in your life. And I rather suspect today that there are people here that have allowed the fire to burn up things that are valuable in their life. And it's consuming things and it's eating things alive in you. And maybe it's your conscience. Maybe it's the things that you would say, that's the most valuable asset I have. Maybe it's relationships, but you're allowing things to consume in an unnatural way that God doesn't want, and God wants to take that bad, and he wants to turn it into good and bring a supernatural fire of refinement and life and joy back to you and back to your family, back to your relationships, back to all those things that are important. And I want you to think about being on fire for God. 
not being hesitant. And when it comes time to worship, you're not just sitting back there going, that's nice. No, you get to your feet. You're giving God the glory. You're raising your hands. You're shouting. You're acknowledging the God of the universe. I've always marveled at the, at the Viking football organization because of its fans. If you've ever been in Minnesota in the wintertime, you know it's not a nice place. It confirms that there is sin in the world. But what always amazed me was when the Viking fans would show up, all of them about 350 pounds. And the, you know, I mean, it's winter. You don't, you don't have to worry about it. You just eat. I'm depressed. It's, it's cloudy. I'm eating. And, uh, and they've got Vikings painted on their shirt, and they're wearing no shirt. And I go, these guys get it. I appreciate it because they're fanatics for what they believe in. We need to be fanatics in our own way. Now, I don't want you showing up next week shirtless with Jesus, you know, painted on your chest or something like that. But we got to be fanatics for God because we are life changers. We're world changers in this world that we live. Here's some things that I figured out about God. One of them is the unexpected is a part of God's plan. I always kind of get shocked and go, how would that happen? Or God, what are you doing? God has everything in control. God knows exactly what he's doing, and it's a part of his plan. It's just unexpected to you. It was what God had intended for you. You just didn't like it. I like what Peter says. You know, don't be shocked. Don't be surprised of the fiery ordeal that comes upon you as though some strange thing were happening. Have you ever done that? Well, God, where'd that come from? Are you aware that I don't like this? Fully aware I like to do that to you because it forces you into this world of faith. Also, the other thing is that Jesus is not safe. Following Jesus is not safe. And if you follow Jesus or really stand for Jesus, you're going to find that there's going to be some disruptions in your life. You're going to find that there's going to be an amazing kind of a response when you speak up the name of Jesus, when you lift up the name of Jesus. Remember, the Bible says that the cross is, is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God unto salvation. Paul said, when I came to you, I did not come to you with eloquent words of wisdom describing my own kind of stuff, but I came to you in a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. I wanted you to see something of the supernatural dimension of God. It's not natural. It's supernatural that we, we look for, that we want in our life. And also, Jesus is magnified in his word. When you lift up his word, you lift up Jesus. When you lift up Jesus, you lift up the word. God wants you to take the word of God, read it, study it, speak it, memorize it, get it out there where people can put their hands around it. And you can weave it in all kinds of places. I don't care where you are. You're talking to somebody and you're having a normal conversation and, and they'll say something like, a little birdie told me. You ever heard that little idiom? It's right out of the Bible. You go, you know where that's found? And they go, what? It's in the Bible. Really? Yeah, that's in there. By the skin of your teeth, in the Bible. I got a list of about 200 idioms that we use on a regular basis in our world that come right out of the word of God. And that's just one way you get into people's lives. Now, in the book of Acts chapter 19, we've got a crazy story. I mean, it really is a crazy story. It's got all the right elements. You know, somebody who really wants to be something he's not, a naked guy. It's got all kinds of good stuff in it, and it's in the Bible. 
Whenever you get a naked guy in the Bible, it's something to look at because you go, what's that doing in there? All right, let's look together. I know you're skeptical, but here's what it says. Now, God worked unusual miracles. Three categories of miracles. Unusual, what God calls usual, and no miracles, right? These are unusual miracles. These are not normal. These are things that are just go way beyond what you could ever imagine. And it says it was by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and evil spirits went out of them. Now, when I, when I read that years ago for the first time, I said, yeah, what, what, whatever. I mean, isn't that a little bit too far? I mean, what, what's that all about? That someone's clothing brings healing. Does that happen today? I haven't seen it. But I did a little research, and I found out about a church in Nigeria that a Muslim somehow was persuaded to go into this church. Church has about 120,000 people in it. He goes into this church, and during this whole time, the, the pastor said, take out, take out a handkerchief and just, and he was preaching on a passage of Scripture, and he made reference to this, and he took out this handkerchief, And he said, this handkerchief has no power at all. It only becomes a point of faith for your faith in God. And this Muslim was sitting there. He he went to church that day, was persuaded because he, he just had lost someone in his family. And so he takes this napkin and or this handkerchief with him and he brings it out and he says, you know, I've lost my loved one and, and if there really is a God, let me just see this, something miraculous happen. Then he goes to the funeral. And he takes the, the handkerchief and he puts it on, on the person who was dead. And I don't, know if, I don't know what to do with this. And the person comes to life. And you say, that's too crazy. I agree. But I also see what's happening here. I don't know how to take Bible sometimes and contemporary and mesh them together in a way where it all makes sense because I don't think that made sense in their day. I think people are going, that doesn't happen. One of the fastest conversions that's happening in the Middle East right now is among Muslims who are having visions of Jesus. The report is from a, from a, from a, a Muslim cleric is that at, at a rate of about 5,000 a day from visions alone, and he says this is horrible and we have to figure out how to stop this. Now, I don't get that. Why are, you giving, why are they getting visions? Because there's no church. You see, God is going to work with us or without us. God is going to move in alleys and valleys and all kinds of mountains where we can't get because the Spirit of God is in control of this world. Have you figured that one out yet? Now look what it says here. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call on the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. We exorcise you by the, by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now here's the guy who, who's the wannabe. They're watching this power of God unfold, and they go, I want to do that. Have you ever heard somebody sing or preach or teach or go, I want to do that? And God says, that's not my calling on your life. But these guys didn't even know the God, Jesus. And so they said, we're just going to use the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. And it says in verse 14, there were also seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. 
Now look at this. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? When your name is not known in hell, you're in trouble. I'm thankful my name is written in the Lamb's book of life, but these demons didn't recognize him, didn't know him, and they said, I know Jesus, and I know Paul. And by the way, this is the fourth occasion in the, in the book of Acts where someone wanted to access the power of God and did not know God, and none of them had good consequences. You have to be careful when you start to speak the name of Jesus that your heart is right and you truly know the God of the universe. But it says here, Jesus I know, Paul I know, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, so they fled out of that house naked and wounded. I told you it was in there. You didn't think it was in there, and you know the difference between being naked and naked, right? There is difference. You've heard it, naked and naked. Now, naked is when you have no clothes on. Naked is when you have no clothes on and you're up to no good. I have this on good authority. It may not be in your dictionary, but it's true. And look what it says here. This became known both to all the Jews and the Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. Ephesus was a place where the greatest probably New Testament church was, but it was also a stronghold for spiritual activity that opposed the kingdom of God. And it's a principle because whenever you shine the brightest, you're going to have the greatest adversary coming against you. Because light shines the brightest in the darkest places. And it says here, this became known in Ephesus and fear fell on them all and in the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Now look what's happening here. Up to this point, no one has come to faith in Christ. This is a demon-possessed guy who beats up a Jewish would-be exorcist and runs out of the house naked, and look what, what happens here. It says, and the Lord Jesus was magnified, and look at the result. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. When you have an encounter with Jesus, you know what happens? You know how sinful your heart is. You stop justifying sin. You stop making excuses for what you have and haven't done, and you stop blaming someone else, and you look at yourself and say, I am a sinful man. I fall short of the glory of God, and without the grace of God, where do I go? Who do I cling to if I don't cling to Jesus in this whole process? Verse 19, also many of those who had practiced magic brought their books. This seemed to be appropriate with Halloween around the corner, right? They brought their books together, they burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Now, Amazing kind of a story, but I want to just touch on that. The demon's victory over the seven sons of Sceva contributed to the defeat of magic in Ephesus and the conversion of many. Did you hear that? Let me say that again. The demon's victory over the seven sons of Sceva contributed to the defeat of magic in Ephesus and resulted in the conversion of many because when evil turns on evil, it brings people to God. See, God's gospel gets out in a lot of different ways. There was no gospel preaching going on at this point. This was evil turning on evil. This was, this was people realizing how bad the situation was. That's what's happening in our world today. People are coming around and they're going, wow, the world is really bad. It's not working, is it? 
I get asked more questions now about what's happening in the world biblically by non-Christians than I ever have had before. The minute they know I, I know anything or think I know anything about the book of Revelation, they're all over it. Well, what about this? What about that? What, well, where do you think we are? What's going on in our world? Let me show you a couple of things that I, God showed me out of this passage. Here's the first one. The miraculous attracts attention. When something miraculous happens, it gets your attention. You go, wow, what's going on there? We've had a number of people that uh, have showed up on our job site that we've hired that do not know Christ. They're part of that, that team of, of, of the general contractor we have, and, and it's amazing how many cross-conversations we have. And when I tell them, yeah, we're, uh, well, we started this church about 20 months ago, and uh, we've been building this in 90 days, and they look at me and they go, how is that possible? I said, well, actually, we'd be done if the post office hadn't delayed us. They got in the way of our miracle here. I think it's amazing the transformation that's happening in the postal staff. How they dialogue with us now, how they ask about God, how one guy said, when you open up, I'm coming to church here. I don't know about you, and that may not be one of those high-level, unusual miracles, but I think it's a miracle. Because when we started, man, they weren't in that position at all. It's the same thing about this, this Edwards Theater. The favor that God has given us through, through this place and, and the way they've worked with us and the manager and how great he's been. And he even made this statement. I said this to you a few weeks ago. He made this statement. He said, we're going to really hate to see you go. I said, well, I know it's a good revenue stream. He said, no, 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 you don't understand. Apart from that, I think the favor of God is on us because of you being here. We are now the number one theater in this Edwards group that they're in. And I, don't, I can't explain it. No, everybody asks me why. Why is that happening? And the only, only connection I can make is you're here. God's blessing us on your behalf, and that's why we hate to see you go. And I said, well, then give everybody in our church free movie passes for the next 12 months. I mean, if we're that good of economic engine for you, you should just come back and come through. Miracles are an invasion. Miracles are an invasion of God in our world. It's way for people to step back and go, what is going on? Maybe I need to find God. Maybe I need to seek out God. The other thing I know is that miracles confirm the supernatural. Tammy referred to it earlier. If you function just in the reasonable and the, and the rational world, the natural world that you live in, you're going to miss God altogether. If you try to explain everything and, and you just go, well, yeah, but, I, I, yeah, but, you know, that, yeah, but, that, that's just almost automatic. That's not faith. What is God doing? Is God big enough? God keep you out of hell. Can't God solve your problem? Miracles produce faith. Man, when I see God doing something, I get excited. And I want to fall. I say, I want to trust God. I want to see what God's up to. Let's look at Matthew chapter 11 for a moment. When John had heard in prison about the works of Christ. Now look at this. John the Baptist. He's imprisoned. Soon to be beheaded. He heard about the works of Christ. Not the words. The works of Christ. He sent two of his disciples and said to them, are you the coming one? In other words, are you the Messiah? Or do we look for another? I love how Jesus answers. He never can just go yes. Have you ever noticed that? 
Have you ever prayed for him and God, God, do you want me to go that way? And he goes, yes, go that way. It's almost like, well, which way would you like to go? I'm going, no, no, no. I, I, I want to know what do you want me to do? And look what he's, how Jesus answers. He says to them, go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. That's all I need to say, John. Blind people are seeing. Deaf people are hearing. Lepers are experiencing cleansing. And the gospel is going out to the poor. And the reason he said that was he was quoting from the Old Testament prophecy that talked about what the Messiah would do when he would show up, and that's it right there. Let me show you something else. Hell is keeping score. Hell is keeping score. Now, now Satan's kingdom is not organized. It's random and disorganized, and you can see that, by the way, demons don't really seem to know what's going on. The soldiers are going in every direction. They're afraid of Jesus. They're not fighting. They're doing all this kind of crazy stuff in the Scripture. But 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, look what it says. But even if our gospel is veiled, in other words, the gospel is not clear to everyone. Satan is trying to keep it from people. It's veiled. If you've ever seen people wear veils or wear a burqa, they can see through it, but they can't see everything. So it's what it's saying here. Our gospel is veiled to people. They don't really see all the details of it, but they know there's a gospel there. It is veiled to those who are perishing. In other words, we can see, but the person without God, why, it's, it's veiled. For, look what it says, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. Who's the God of this age? Well, it's Satan. What does he do? He blinds people's eyes. He convinces them that they don't need God. Who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine in them. So what has Satan done? He's blinded the eyes of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the true light of the gospel, which is the glory of God. So what's our job? Tell them. Present the message. Help them to see the message. We know it's always a work of the Spirit, but we want to open that up to their eyes. We want to say, consider the claims of Christ. I was talking to an atheist the other day, and, I, and he was pretty adamant about his position, and I love atheists because it's so easy to convert them to agnostics. <laughs> and I said, well, have you prayed the atheist prayer? And he said, the atheist prayer? I said, yeah. Well, how does that go? It goes like this. Dear God, you don't exist. I don't believe in you. And if you really were true, you'd reveal yourself to me. But since you're not there, I don't believe in you. Amen. I've led more atheists to Christ with that prayer. Because they've gone home and they've taken me serious. They'll come back and go, you know, I was thinking about that. And I know this is crazy, but I started reading the Gospel of John and I, and I think something's happening here. I can really only think of one atheist that I've talked to that hasn't come to faith in Christ. And I've talked to a lot of them. And the one that didn't come to Christ, his whole family did. I love that kind of stuff. 
Well, now, what's going on in Ephesus is some crazy stuff because there's all this magic and this occultism and this spiritualism that's functioning. And guess what? Regardless if it's out in the open or, you know, we kind of think, well, that's kind of like palm readers, right? That's kind of like people that do things at night and we don't know about it. Remember, Satan is a master of deception. If he gets you one degree off over time, you'll be way off. So the Bible has warnings and tells you what not to do. I went to a church one time, and the first question the lady asked me as a pastor was, what sign of the zodiac are you under? I mean, this is an odd question. I mean, I don't get into that stuff. That's, you know, I don't know. I said, I'm under the blood of the Lamb of God. She goes, no, that's not one of the signs. When were you born? I said, I'm not telling you. I don't want to be there. She said, come on, which month? June, July, August, whatever. I go, May. Oh, you're probably a Gemini. And I go, no, no, no. Blood of the Lamb. She got so insulted. This is a Christian thing going on. She was so insulted because I wouldn't play the Zodiac game. Let me show you something in Scripture. I believe some of the problems that we have today as a society, as individuals, yes, even in this room, are some of the the alliances we've had innocently with the occult world. I really believe it. Let me show you scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 10 and 11. There shall not be any found any among you who makes a son or daughter to pass through the fire. Now, this was the God of Molech. And what they would do is they would sacrifice their children on these altars of fire. We're not doing that. We have other ways of doing that. We abort. The end result is exactly the same. Or his daughter to pass through the fire, or one who practices witchcraft, a soothsayer, one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, one who conjures up spells. By the way, a sorcerer is connected always to the drug world. In the New Testament, it's the word where we get our word pharmaceutical. And whether it's prescription, whether it's legal or illegal, it's sorcery. Because it's anything but, and I'm talking about abuse. I'm not talking about just what's prescribed and what's needed and all that. I'm not against that at all. I'm saying that when you take and abuse something, you move into the realm of sorcery. Or one who conjures up a spell, a medium, or a spiritualist, or one who calls on the dead. Now, that's pretty clear. God says, you don't do that. You know, some people have kind of, you know, I want to read my astrology and see what that's all about. Let me tell you something. That's just an alignment with darkness because it's basing your life on fate rather than faith. Which controls your life, fate? Well, whatever happens, you know, depending on when I was born. No, it's faith in Jesus that determines your future and your life. And Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And we want an alignment with the holy God, not unholy, unholy spiritism. See, when Jesus came, it says in Hebrews chapter 2 and verses 14 and 15, inasmuch then as children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself shared in the same. In other words, Jesus came in the flesh. God came in the flesh. He shared. He himself likewise shared in the same that through death, look what he did. Why did he die? He might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. 
When Jesus died, he destroyed the power that Satan has over you. He doesn't have authority over you. He doesn't have power over you as a believer. And release those, look at this, release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. See, people, we fear things, don't we? I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that people fear. And ultimately, the thing that we, we are afraid of the most is we fear death. Nobody wants to die. I mean, you as a Christian say, well, I'm ready to go. Yeah, wait till you're on your deathbed and tell me that. Your perspective changes. You know where you're going, but we hold on to life as long as we can unless we understand this principle that he came to give us life and give it more abundantly. Also want you to see that, that the word magnifies Jesus. The word of God magnifies Jesus. All you have to do is start reading Scripture. Just read it out loud. Get in your car, go home, start reading Scripture, and just just start reading what it says. As you start reading it, you'll be surprised what God will do. He'll start magnifying Jesus in your life. You'll start to feel different. You know why? Because the Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul and the marrow and discerning the true intentions of the heart. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13. You see, because that word of God is living, it's not just an academic book. God's trying to do something in your life with the word of God. He says, thy word have I magnified even above my name. God lifts his word up before he lifts up his name. Look what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse verse 12. And see if you believe this. Because this is a challenging verse. It says, most assuredly I say unto you, he who believes in me. How many of you believe in him? Just kind of raise your hand up. Okay? All right, here's your promise. The works that I do, he will do also. Now, do you believe that? New level, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I believe. Works he did, I'll do? Ah, I don't know. But he doesn't stop there. Look what he says. And greater works than these will he do. Okay, wait a minute. You're saying that we're going to do the works of Jesus, but we're going to do even greater works than Jesus did. And why is that? Because I go to the Father. You see, his ascension and the giving of the Holy Spirit brings about transformation and brings about power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, Acts chapter 1, 8. That's what happens. And whatever you ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. You know, I just have come to the place to where I can't understand it. I try to reduce it down and make it a little bit easier to put my arms around, and I can't. I can't discount the words of Jesus. I say, well, you said it. I'm holding you to it. I'm going to believe you, sink or swim, do or die. I'm going to believe you to the end because your word said it. And if you don't come through, it's your issue, not mine. My job is to believe the words of God, to live in faith, and to trust you for the impossible. And that's all I know how to do. Because everything else, when I start diminishing the word of God, I diminish God's glory and I strip myself from all the power that God wants to have in me and through me and work. See, we're supernatural beings living in a natural body. We were created for eternity, not for time. And so God pushes us. He pushes us here with this verse. You mean that anything I ask, God will do? No, if you ask for something stupid and selfish, he won't do it. 
What about in his will? I don't know his will. I don't know his will in every situation, so I, just, I presume that I'm on track with God, and that's how I pray. Here's some things that uh, I want to say. Baseline living is not acceptable. It's just not. Going through the motion as a Christian is so defeating. To not have a challenge is so weak and so unexciting. Just to be able to say, yes, I'm a Christian and kind of go through the motions, it's like a hobby. It's just not acceptable to to live on a baseline kind of Christianity. Here's another truth. We are so much better than we are. We are so much better than we are. We're living our life in a certain way. You are better than that. You have more potential than that. You have more capacity than that. You have more influence than that. We are better than we are. You are greater than all the labels that you were ever given as a child. You might have been called stupid. You are better than that. You might have been called unathletic. You're better than that. People may have said all kinds, you're not pretty or you're not tall or whatever. You're better than that. God sees you as his child. God sees you through the lens of eternity. God has great and marvelous plans for you. You're better than all the criticism you've ever had in the past or you'll ever have in the future. You're better than that. Live that way. You are better than your success. You may be highly successful. You may make a lot of money. You may have great academic degrees. You may have this and that. You are better than your success. Because what you have is given by God, shaped in eternity. And God has an eternal destiny and plan for you that goes way beyond what you could ever imagine. You're better than that. You're better than all of your shame. You're better than that. Put shame aside. Put success aside. Put criticism aside. Put the labels aside. You're better than that. God is ready. Listen to this. God is ready to do more for you. You haven't asked. Or you haven't trusted. You haven't waited. God wants to do more for you. Embrace with supernatural confidence that God, God is ready to do more for you. Embrace the courage to do anything God tells you you can do. When God tells me I can do it, I want to embrace that. I want to put my arms around that. I want to say yes. I want to be on fire for God. I don't want people to walk into Influence Church and see people who aren't enthusiastic about Jesus. There's a lot of churches like that. I don't want to go through the motions as a pastor, man. I want to be on fire for God and the good kind of fire. I still have in my heart the same kid that would rush into a stupid box. I still got it. I've just changed boxes. I'm going into the God box. And I'll rush in. And if I die in the process, so be it. But I'm not going to stand outside and watch the box burn where God is, amen? It's time for us to run into the God box. Give God the glory, amen? 
Get excited about Jesus and see what Jesus can do in us and through us. We're going to sing a song right now, and it's called Break Every Chain. Listen just to the words as the band comes. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. What's holding you back right now? To break every chain. All sufficient was his sacrifice. So freely given, such a price bought. Our redemption and heaven's gates swing wide. And then that little militaristic kind of a beat starts. There's an army rising up. We're the army. Army, would you rise up? Stand up right now. Army, rise up. I want you to sing this like you really believe it. You're not running in the stupid box. You're running into the God box, giving God the glory. Amen? Amen? Amen. That's better. Let's try one more time. Amen? Amen? All right, let's sing this to the glory of God.